Dios te bendiga. Well, amen, church. It is so powerful just to uh, listen to worship, be a part of that, and uh, man, it's just so great to just be led like that. So I want to continue this theme, continue this act of worship through teaching God's Word as we're in James. We've been going through the book of James. We're in James chapter 3. If you want to start turning your Bible there, flipping open your app, whatever you use, uh, pull out your parchment and scroll, whatever you know your, your history lesson is right there, you do. But open that up, and we'll be in James chapter 3. It's been a series called A Faith That Works, and if you don't know, J- James is just like an extremely practical book. If you're ever like, how do I know if I'm doing this Christian thing right? How do, how do I know what I need to be doing? What, what should it look like? James is your book. It's just very practical in, in, in its context and, and how it is. And so I encourage you, if you miss any week and you're interested in the book of James, go back and listen to uh, previous sermons, not because I'm anything amazing, but just because God's Word is powerful. So I encourage you, go check that out. Uh, as we start out today, jumping in today's sermon, uh, you know what a proverb is, right? Like, okay, you, I mean, you know, obviously, hopefully, obviously, in the Old Testament, there's proverbs, but proverb is a word that means this. It means it's a short saying that gives advice or expresses truth. And so proverbs is not only in the Bible. Proverbs are things that we have in everyday lexicon and language and stuff. It's been around for a long time. So, so for example, you may have heard this one. Here, here's an old proverb that's been said and passed around. People say, it is early bird gets the worm. You ever heard that before, right? Uh, the early bird gets the worm. My, my dad used to say it all the time. I'm like, well, I don't like worms. That's a, that's a dumb saying, you know? Uh, you know, there's all sorts of different ones, you know, or an older one they have, an apple a day keeps the doctor away. I don't know how that works, you know, I don't know if that's been scientifically proven or not. But, but you know, there's advice and supposedly supposed to be truth with it. In my own household, we had family proverbs that we would say. I've shared before one of my dad's favorite sayings of how you make it through life is this. He said, vast amounts of false concern. I'll let you process that for a second. How do you make it through a day? How do you make it through some of the nuances of life? Sometimes you just have to have vast amounts of false concern. Or my grandpa, who was a little bit uh, you know, nicer in his saying, he, he always say this. He said, if you're going to love someone, you have to love them warts and all. And he's like, you got to love every aspect of them. That was his favorite saying. Uh, or, or my favorite from the actual Bible, Proverbs chapter 27, 14, uh, which I think just is, is, has been my life verse is this. It says, a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. Uh, so any of you guys who are morning people like my wife... I'm saying, you're cursing me, woman. Stop that. You know, this is not a blessing from the Lord. This is a curse from God. Don't do, you know, not God. But anyways, don't do this. Uh, just real quick, I don't know, do you have a family, do you have anything like that, a proverb or something of that nature that your family is saying that always says? If so, I want to give you just two seconds for the person next to you. Share that real quick. If you have one, you know, oh yeah, my family always said this. Whatever it is, take a quick second to share that. If not, say, our family's not weird like his, and then you can feel good about yourself. Uh, we'll jump right back in.
It seems like most families have something to this nature. Um, I had a friend that uh, passed away this past year, and he had a family saying, they, they said over and over at the funeral, is you can't live life scared. Not scared, because, you know, he's scared. That's how they'd always say it. And that was his motto, is you can't live life scared. You, you got you to keep going through life. You got to keep chugging along and stuff. Um, Proverbs give advice or, or express truth, right? I mean, that's kind of the, the definition of what a proverb is. There's one I always remember in elementary school that they would, we would repeat all the time, and it's one you're probably familiar with as well. It's this one. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. You ever heard that one before? Yeah? Uh, we say it all the time. You know, someone says something, well, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me, you know, and, and you know, walk away and stuff like that. That's little, you know, three, eighth grade, Eric, whatever, uh, doing that sort of stuff. The problem I want you to think about that one, sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words will never hurt me. I began to process, is that really a proverb? Think about it for a second. Is that one good advice or two, is that truth? Because something says no in my life. Because I don't know about you, I've had hurts and wounds and stuff in my life, but nothing has cut as deep as words sometimes in my life or has gone as far. Uh, you're probably true of you as well. Like words hurt and do more damage than sometimes any stick and stone could ever do. I've healed of scars that have happened. I've, I've, you know, working with my dad in construction and doing stuff with him, I've cut myself open and stuff like that. But yet, those scars are nothing to the scars of words people have said to me that still to this day, in certain times of my life, will come up and crop up and I just can't get rid of. Words matter. Words mean something. We're going through the book of James, and you're saying, well, what does this have to connect with what we're talking about? J James, in the past few weeks, has been providing tests, if you will, to, to see if your faith is real or worthless. And so he's talked about these kind of tests, if you will, not to see whether or not you're a Christian, but more if there's these symptoms you have that come up, there's something that's off, right? I just went and saw a doctor this week, and there's certain symptoms I told him, and they're saying, well, but based on what you're saying, I can deduct that this is probably what's going on. James is saying the same thing. He's gone through several tests. He's talked about the first week we talked about, as far as tests, talking about how do you treat others? Last week, he talked about um, um, what, what has your faith done? Like, like, if you say you have faith, but prove it. H have you done anything? This week, he talks about your words. And what's interesting is that if last week, he talks about what has your faith done, where he uses the famous text, you know, faith without works is dead, which is probably his main thesis of, of all of James. If that's his main thesis, talking about words, like what have your, do your words say about you, is his main focus. You say, why do you say that, Eric? Because in every chapter of the book of James, he addresses how we use our words. Every, every book, every letter, I mean, every chapter in his book, he talks about it. Words are important. So if you have your Bible, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, we're going to read today and address this question of what, what do your words say about you? James chapter 3, verse 1 through 12, what do your words say about you? Let's, let's read along. It says this. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make mistakes, for if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. and could also control ourselves in every other way. Like, we can make a large horse, we can make a large horse go uh, wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth, and a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. 
but a, a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting, uh, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it's set on fire by hell itself. Like people can tame all kinds of animals, birds and reptiles and fish, but, but no one or, or no man can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poisons. Like sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursings coming, come pouring out of the same mouth. Like surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh and water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. What is he talking about? Let's kind of unpack some of this. He talks about what do your words say about you? And he starts at the very beginning talking about teachers. He said, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers of the church. You shouldn't become teachers. And in his context, he's actually talking about what they've been known as rabbis. He said, not many of you should do this because we will be judged more strictly. That's encouraging for me to hear today, <laughs> being in the position I am. We're going to be judged more strictly. What, what is he talking about? It's interesting, back in this time, like being a rabbi, being a teacher of this, of a leader in a church or whatever, was a prestigious position. People revered you. They looked at you. They, they, they admired what you had to say. So much so, there's actually historical accounts we have that said this, that said it was written that if a man's parents and his rabbi were captured by an enemy, the rabbi was to be ransomed first. And you let your parents just be taken. Some of you who don't like your parents are like, no problem. <laughs> I could do that. Like, he's like, listen, rabbis were a very significant thing. My, my question when he first addresses that is, why would teachers be judged more strictly? Why, why would he say that? Why would he even bring that up? Like, why would you point that out? Why would you say that? I can't help but think whenever I first came to the pastor, I met with someone who's a pastor and was just gets gleaning wisdom from them. And they said something to me that I don't know if what they said was in the right vein as far as what their heart was, but what they said was true, that they said this. I, I was telling them how I just, I said, when people call me pastor, I just, I kind of cringe. It's just weird. I, if it feels weird hearing people say, Pastor Eric, I'm like, oh, that's just weird. You know, please, please that's awkward. I, 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 I just see, I feel like there's a sense of reverence almost they're saying with that. And, and he almost with a straight face is what there should be. I hope there's always a sense of reverence. He goes, because when we speak, it's as though God speaks. I'm like, well, bro, you need to get off your high horse a little bit there. You need to get off. But listen, even though I think the, the heart of what he was saying, how he was saying it was not good, there's a certain amount of truth. You see, when I speak, when I talk, I'm representing God. And people who don't spend time in the Word, spend time getting to know, look at me, look at my life, look at my Word, and say, that must be what God's like because that's what he's like because I represent them. And so ultimately, he's coming back, and you can tell, well, what is he talking about? He talks about our words he's going into. He's like, listen, our words have power. And people who want to jump in this position of leadership and do this, and you're not willing to take reign of even the smallest thing, you don't understand how significant those little things are, and they stack up, and what damage they do. And you, know, you might hear that and go, well, Eric, good thing I'm not you. <laughs> like, I'm never going to sign up for that position. Is that what he's talking about? Just teachers and pastors. I would say this, I'd say no, he's talking to anyone who carries any kind of spiritual leader or authority in someone else's life. Can I say this, parents, your kids in your life, you are the spiritual leader or authority in their life. You should be careful about what you say and do because they will make all their preferences about God looking at your life and how you act and stuff and say, man, if that's the God I'm going to get, I don't want that. 
He's, he's going in, he's ultimately saying this, which, which is the big idea, I think, of this section is this, that, that words have power, and, and so you need to give them to God. Now, let me say it again. Words have power, so give them to God. Like, like what, what do I mean by words have power? Well, in this first section, verse 2 through 5, he talks about how our words have the power to direct. Look what he talks about. He says, look at how small tongue it is. He says, listen, if you could learn to control this in verse 2, he says, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect. The original Greek word there has many different renderings of it. It can be perfect. It can also mean mature. He's like, listen, you know what true maturity looks like? You know what perfection in someone looks like? Is when you can learn to control the tongue. Because when you can control your words, your mouth, Listen, it controls the whole body. He's only saying this. You know, like self-discipline starts with your mouth. If you really want to look like to say, man, what does it look like to be a disciplined person? Look at the words they say, how they use their words. That's what full maturity will look like. And so the question we have to ask is, well, am I mature or maturing our faith? Well, why is that? Because our words have the power to direct not just ourselves but others. He uses an illustration, and James starts unpacking. and says, look at, look at someone who has a horse. You have a 1,000-pound horse that has so much power and might, and yet what's it controlled by? It's controlled by this itty-bitty like one, little four-ounce bit you put in their mouth. And you can tell that horse which way to go with this tiny little thing, this power, the might right there. It controls the whole animal. My daughter is a gift. Her grandparents got her horse riding lessons, so we've been doing that a little bit. And, and to see my daughter, who's this little 40-pound nothing up there, toothless girl up there, is able to control this horse, this mighty animal, and we're having to throw her up there to get up to this much. She can't even barely reach the stirrup stuff, but she's up there controlling it by, by just a little tug left and right. Why? Because of just that tiny bit in its mouth. He, he uses another illustration. Take, take an example of a ship. You look at the ship and you see this 1,000-ton vessel that's there. Emily and I, for our 16-year anniversary at the first of this month, went on a cruise. Hey, that, that's a moving city. It is unbelievable how big these things are. And if you go and Google and research and look at the propeller, you have this little, it's 20 feet, but you look at the size of the ship, it is tiny, controlling the whole way the ship can go. It controls every aspect. And I love it, it says, no matter what, what winds come and try to move, that rudder can tell it where to go. No matter what happens in your life, if you can control your mouth, you can control every aspect of your being. Words have the power to direct. You can direct people to God, you can direct people away from God with one little word. You can direct the patterns of your life and how your trajectory, how your mental thought is just by the way you speak in every sort of day. I can talk myself into a negative stoop in a few minutes start talking about, man, how bad this is, how awful this is. And before a second, man, my whole demeanor, my whole attitude, everything has changed just by the words that came out of my mouth. I drive down the road and I begin venting at the dumb drivers around me. I'm glad I'm the only good driver in the world when I'm in my car. And I'm looking at them and criticizing, listen, I can get somewhere and be in a heated uproar just because of how I've talked and how I've handled myself. He talks about ultimately in verse 5, he says, listen, it's, it's the tiny things that make a difference. He said, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. It's the small things that make a difference that we often ignore, say it's not a big deal, but yet they affect everything. H have you ever been walking and got a tiny rock in your shoe? And suddenly you're, you're, you're ah, you know, you have to stop what you're doing. You're in the middle somewhere. You're taking off your shoe trying to get, why? Because you can't walk. You ever been somewhere walking and got this tiny speck in your eye and suddenly you're incapable of doing anything because you're trying to get this thing out of your eye or got a splinter or something like that. It's the tiny things that completely derail your entire being from just one little thing. It's the small things 
to make it different, and they have the power to direct every aspect of life. You see, words have power. He not just talks about that, he goes in the next version, uh, verse 5 through 8, he talks about how not only they have the power to direct, they have the power to destroy. He uses this illustration of a fire, he says, but a tiny spark can uh, create a great forest fire. He said, the tongue is a flame of fire. For, for this audience in this context, wildfires were a common sight for this audience. So when they hear that, they'd immediately begin to think of their life and situate, oh yeah, I remember when that burned down grandmother's house, how that affected our families. Some of you, I know, have stories about just a tiny little spark getting out of control. If you don't know what that looks like, there's a Google, the Chicago Fire of 1871. It says on October 8th, 1871, about 8.30 p.m. in the evening, a lantern in Miss O'Leary's barn, believed to be kicked over by her cow, ignited the great Chicago fire. He said, by this little spark from this little lantern kicked over by a cow, it says when they got done, before they could get it contained, 17,500 buildings were destroyed, 300 people died, and 125,000 others were left homeless from one little spark that got out. He's like, listen, your, your words are the same way. He says it's like, like a great forest fire that gets out. The tongue is a flame of fire. He even describes it in verse uh, 6. He said, it, it's a whole world of wickedness. That word world means world, earth, or system, or arrangement. Have you ever seen what's called a, a uh, got to make sure I pronounce it right, the, the Rube Goldberg machine? You ever seen those sort of things? Where you have this whole contraption, it kicks this, and this ball rolls down, and it hits this pedestal, and the fan kicks on, and it blows this thing, and it's this whole ecosystem of this one thing sets off this whole chain reaction of what's going on. He said, your words are like this. When they carelessly go out and start a little flame, suddenly it becomes a whole world of itself of just engulfing, destroying, that suddenly you're like, I don't know how that happened. Some of, you, some of you know what I'm talking about. Either you've, you've done it or you've been affected by that. Where one little world, you're like, golly, man, that, that did so much damage by that, that false rumor, that, that horrible statement they said. I've seen churches divide and split and, and cause tremendous uproars over little things that get out of control. He, he describes it and he says it, it, it's, it's set on fire by what? He says by hell. He says, that's the source. This careless words is not from God. It's straight from hell. Do you know what's interesting here? Like this word hell is the word Gehenna. It's, it's the word for hell that Jesus used. It, the only time it's used is in the Gospels. No other book in the New Testament uses it except for James right here. And how does he use it? To describe the tongue. When you use careless words, when you let them get out, it's from Satan himself, and you've given him free reign to do whatever. And our words just destroy. He, he describes it as what? A restless evil. Hey, think about this. This restless evil. Unlike animals, you know, if you get animals, if you get a wild horse, you eventually just try to exercise them and wear them out to where you just beat them into submission to where they run to exhaustion. He said, your tongue's not like that. He said, your tongue never tires. It never gets, it, it gets uh, tired. It never wears out. As a matter of fact, the complete opposite do. It, what happens is, on the contrary, when we are most tired, it is most powerful. How often in our exhaustion, we let a careless word get out and go, oh, man, I just slipped out. I did not mean to say that. He said it's full of deadly poisons. He's like, there's no limit to its potency. Like, it doesn't hold back. It does such damage. It reminds me of an illustration I know I've used before, but I feel it's very fitting right now. You talk about a Catholic priest who was in a confessional, and this one older lady from his, his, his church came in to do her confessions. And she comes in and confess, and the priest says, you know, how have you been? Like, do you have anything to confess? She goes, no, I've been good. He says, nothing. 
She said, well, I, 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 may, have, I may have gossiped a time or two, but it, it, it's a little thing. I mean, it's nothing compared to old Suzanne over here, you know. I mean, I've, I've done nothing compared to that lady. He says, really? He says, yes. And he goes, well, who have you gossiped to? And she goes, well, a few people and begin to last off people. And she goes, well, what do I need to do? Certain Hail Marys and stuff? He says, no. He says, well, why don't you do? He says, do you have a feathered pillow at your home? She says, yes. He says, I want you to get that feathered pillow. She goes, okay. He goes, I want you to take it to the top of your roof. And once you get to the top there, I want you to grab a knife. And I want you to begin to stab that feather pillow over and over until the feathers go everywhere. And she said, Father, are you okay? She said, just do it as I say. And so she goes to her roof and does this. And she begins stabbing the pillow. And feathers just begin to go everywhere. And she's like, this is such a weird thing. And she goes back and she says, Father, I did exactly as you asked. What now? He says, now I want you to go back and collect every single one of those feathers. She goes, that's impossible. I can't do that. And he goes, so is it with your words that you let out. It's this world of evil. Do you think it's just a small thing? And suddenly it's like, I, there's no way I can collect those things back. I won't even begin to send conviction in life what you've done, but just, just personalize for a second. What words have been said to you that sit with you still to this day? Maybe a parent, a friend, a sibling, someone you love, a spouse said something that to this day if you sit and foster, you begin to think about, man, it just, it just eats at you. In your weakest moments, you look at yourself and go, man, I just, you see truth in what they said. See, see words matter. They have the power to destroy. They have power to direct. And then he closes with this section talking about how they, know that they have the power to condemn us. He says, you, you say you love God and you, you praise him. But at the same time, you, you, you curse his children, like who are made in his very image. You can't come and say you love God and badmouth his children. You, you can't come to me and say, Eric, I love you, and then begin ridiculing my daughters. They, they are a prototype of me, and when you ridicule them, their looks are behaving. You, you're ridiculing me. You're, you're criticizing me. You can't separate the two. And when we come and say, God, I love you so much, but yet you can't love his children, there is something amiss. All throughout Scripture, you see time and time again, God says, you know how you want to love me? Love my children. You want to truly love me? Love my children. Any parent in the room understands that. If you want to show me true love, love my kids. And that will show me greater love than anything in the world. But yet, the opposite is too. In churches and life, we, we curse and we criticize, we bite and we gossip, we destroy. And what happens? We come to God and say, I love you. And God's like, really? How? There, there's, there's, he's saying there's inconsistencies in your life. It's like going to a well of fresh water and say, well, it's got half fresh, half salt. No, if it's got salt, it's, it's salt water now. It's contaminated. You can't say I'm a fig tree that got figs and yet you're growing grapes. It's, it just it doesn't happen. I love one of the commentary called Constable Notes that I go to said this. He said, if the tongue is inconsistent, there's something radically wrong with the heart. Let me say it again. If the tongue is inconsistent, there's something radically wrong with the heart. And in other words, there are symptoms pointing to a greater problem. Does this mean that you're not saved? No, but begin, symptoms begin to add up over and over. You have to say, listen, it's starting to add up to something. I think there's an issue here. Like, I repeat, listen, words have power. And so the only, only solution we have is, is to give them to God. You hear that and say, well, how, how do I give this to God, Eric? Like, that sounds good, that sounds great, but practically, how can I do that? Well, if you just take what he's talking about, understand that he talked about power to direct. Here's the first thing I say. If, if your words have the power to direct, if you give them to God, 
Decide where your words are going to lead. When they come out of your mouth, understand that your words can lead someone somewhere. So where are you leading them to? Don't throw them out carelessly. Listen, if I come and talk to this guy right here and I speak life and I speak love, guess what? It's going to change the tra- trajectory of his day. And so I'm going to control, I'm going to be intentional. Listen, same thing in your own life. Your actions, your thoughts, your life will follow the words that you speak. No matter what's going on in your life, if you will speak it into existence, listen, listen, God, listen, I'm going to have a good day. I believe that you're good. I believe you're faithful. I know these things in my life, but I believe that you're powerful. But guess what? Listen, there's hope and there's confidence that gets me through the day. Lead with them. I'll never forget when I was in Afton. You remember, some of you guys know David Holland. He came and preached for us a few times. He's a pastor friend. Uh, I remember we used to, when I was serving as a student minister over him, under him, and me, uh, David, and one of the deacons were all going, we had to, went to town to go eat together and went to the local DMV because David Holland had to go get something for his tag. And we love just to mess with one another. And David gets out of the car and he walks in and he comes out and he goes, he goes man, he goes, they, they won't let me do this because I forgot something at home he needed to, to get his license all up and done. And so me and Brian, you know, you can like talk to people without talking, you know what I mean? We, we look at each other and go, oh, let's mess with them. And so we immediately, I mean, David was in a great mood, and we're sitting like, I can't believe they did that to you. Like, you called them, didn't you? They, they, they didn't tell you. He goes, yeah, it's not a big deal. And Brian's like, man, that's ridiculous. They know that we're like 30 minutes out. They didn't even tell you that. Like, I can't believe, I can't believe they let you drive out. He goes, yeah, I know. Like, yeah, like, literally, this is ridiculous. And we just kept going on. Within two minutes, David is fuming. He's like, that's ridiculous. I can't believe they did that to me. And he's getting all angry, and me and Brian just bust up laughing. He's like, you guys are wicked. And the rest of the day, he had a bad attitude. I'm a great friend, by the way. The rest of the day, he had this attitude. I'm telling you, says, listen, we knew exactly where our words were leading. And it was easy to, to take him there. Your, your words have that same kind of power. And so be intentional. Give your words purpose. Don't cast some cares and think, man, listen, if I'm going to talk to this person, like, wh- where do I hope my words take them? I hope it brings them to God. So how, how can I lead them that way? How can I lead them home? Some of you, some of you guys maybe have difficulties in life. You've got loved ones right now that are struggling. Like, listen, how, they need a, how can I lead them to confidence and believe that God is a source of strength and gets you through this? I'm going to lead them to this. So the second thing they say is this. You see in verse 6, he talks about our words being like a restless fire. I'd say this, stop careless words from getting out. If your words can get out of control, even the smallest thing, listen, you need to think twice before you speak. If you're like my dad and my family, we go, we don't have a filter. Buy one and put it on. Use it. I'll never forget when the pastor served, Mike Taylor, like he was the hardest guy to talk to. You'd say, Mike, how you doing? He'd go. I'm doing good. <laughs> and you're like, you're killing me. Now, that's, that's over ridiculous a little bit right here. Can I tell you right now, that man never gave out a careless word because he thought about everything he was going to say. Think of this way. Listen, if you, gave, if you thought of every word that came out and processed it before it came out, what would happen if you would say, would God want me to say this before I said it? The moment someone says something to you or something like that, and you're thinking, I want to spout off right now. What would happen if you stopped and go, you know what, 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 what would God do right here? Sometimes our words get out ahead of us, don't we? And our frustration and just our knee-jerk reaction to come out, listen, you know what you do? You repent before they get any farther. 
The fire might start right here and burn this grass, but at least you can stop it right here before it does any more damage. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Just even today, maybe. Can I tell you, as a church, we are not immune to this. If anything, it is rampant in the church where we talk and we gossip, we say stuff. And listen, you have an honest responsibility to stop it right now. Go to those people like, listen, I don't want this kind of control. I'm sorry. What I said was out of line. It was inappropriate. Would you please forgive me? You'd be amazing what a covering multitude of sins will do. The last thing I say is this. You decide where you want the words to lead. You stop careless words from getting out. And here's my last thing, how you give it to God. You filter every word through the will of God. You understand that, listen, you cannot say you love God and hate his children. You cannot have healthy, good, clean water and contempt water come from the same well. And so what do you do? You have to stop it at the source and say, listen, God, every word I give to you, what do you want to say? And some of you hear that right now and you go, is that even possible? Let me just say one right here. We do it all the time, every day anyways. How do I know? Because Emily and I just the other day were, were fighting back and forth to each other, and I'm griping at her, and I'm letting her, and someone calls me, and I pick up, hey, how you doing? Oh, it's so good. To, I, immediately, I switched it off. And guess what? I set the phone down, and immediately, I went right back to whatever absurd argument I was trying to make right then and there. It didn't skip a beat. We filter all the time. You talk differently around people you're around. I know it with me, because people, when they walk up and find out I'm a pastor, suddenly they're like, oh, blah, and it's like stumble around the words. It's a matter of intentionally saying, listen, I know I normally talk this, but I'm going to filter through it. It's possible. That's number one, I'd say, but number two is this. How do I know it's possible? Because it's evidence of salvation. Verse 8, what does he say? He says, this is impossible for what? For anyone. This is impossible for man. It's not impossible for God. It's not impossible by the power of the Holy Spirit that was given to you as a believer in Christ when you prayed to receive him. You say, I can't do it. No, exactly. That's how you know. Because I can say, God, help me. And guess what? God will help you. God will give you because God is present in your life. This is why it's a test. This is why it's a sign of maturity. Because I know when I talk to God, he works and he controls and I give it to him and he takes the lead. It's the evidence I have. But let me ask you this. What would God do with my words if I gave them to him? If I left here today and went to the restaurant where notoriously people of church make a fool of themselves at restaurants, and use my words to say, God, what, what could I do today to do something to bring glory to your name? What, what would he do with them? Listen, listen, words have power. So, so, so give them to God. You're, you're not capable of handling it. I think of my daughter. She took a bath in our bathtub a while back, and she came out, and her hand was bleeding. We're like, what's going on? Emily left her razor there. She didn't know what it was, and she started playing and, and scraped up her thumb. And we told her, says, this is a dangerous weapon, a dangerous thing. Like, you don't need to play with it. Every time now, if I'll have a daughter come in. She'll run to the house naked and go, there's a razor in there. Come get it. And she tells us to come get it because she knows there's power. It's a weapon. And mom and dad come and get it out of the way. Listen, you need to come to God and say, listen, there's power here. I need you to take it. Take it, God. Give it to him. The scary thing for me is this, is the temptation for many of us is to hear this sermon and move on because we think we have every other area of our life in check and say, I know I struggle with that, but it's not a big deal, but whatever, but go on. I, did, did you, the tongue is mentioned in every chapter in the book of James. 
If you're going to get serious about God, you're going to get serious about your words. A year ago, I got serious about trying to lose weight. As you can tell, I've got not so serious anymore. About it. But I got serious about it. I spent years and years of trying to run, exercise, all sorts of stuff. You, you know what finally changed thing? Is when I finally took my diet seriously and started eating food that was different. And I said, listen, I'm not going to do this. And weight began to just shed off. I lost 30 pounds in a matter of like two to three months. It was, it was like, it was crazy. Now you're looking at me now and going to say, what happened? Guess what? I stopped being so serious about the food. I'm still running. I'm still doing the same thing. And weight comes right back on you. Why? Because I was not serious about that one little thing. I continue to do everything else right, but this one thing ruins the whole thing. If you're wanting to get serious about your faith, you will start with your words. Plain and simple. Jesus said it like this. Out from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. You, you can fake a lot of things. You can come to church, you can play nice, you can look nice, you can all sorts of things. But, but at the end of the day, your words will expose you. And so I repeat the question I asked at the very beginning. What do your words say about you? Now, if you're as convicted as I am in this, thank you. Misery loves company. And a church needs to take this seriously because we spend too often biting and fighting and tearing one apart, gossiping, and just, um, you, you want to know how this looks back? Go, go to a business meeting and see sometimes how this looks like. You, I mean, just spend time talking about it. But if we would actually preach words of life and we'd actually use those and say, God, what would you, it would be amazing to see what would happen. People would come say, man, listen, God is all over that church because he's taking control of their lips. It's powerful. You've seen it with your own kids, man. You, I see my daughters in the morning, and I just say, hey, you guys look beautiful. I'm so proud of you. I mean, you, you can literally see the shoulders come up. They come in the room, and I'm I, I, what happened? What's going on? You can see the life just suck right out of them. I'm like, give them to God, man. Let them do something. And so as I, as I pray for you, as the band's going to come up, listen, if there's a person in this room that this does not convict you, hey, listen, scripturally, you are a perfect person. And, and we are going to have a class on Wednesday nights, and you are going to teach it. And I'm going to be front row in that class. I know, I know today I, I'm imperfect. I know I need to repent. Just even today, I need to talk to someone who comes, hey, you know, I'm sorry. And li listen, if we get this right, we begin to give that to the Lord. Every other aspect of our church, of our being, will begin to move in a direction of God's pleasing and his will. And so as I, I pray, as the band comes, I'm going to ask you just to respond in kind. Maybe, maybe you need to come up as some did and just pray up here. I'll be available up here. Uh, Bradley's available back. We'd love to pray over you. Maybe you come to a point and says, I cannot give my lips to God. I can't do it. Listen, maybe you need to come say, listen, am I saved? I just need confidence and salvation. Maybe you need that prayer for you. We're going to do that. But I'm going to ask you to be faithful with that. And so where you're at with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I'm going to, I'm going to pray over you. And as I pray, I'm going to ask you to respond. Be faithful to that. I'm going to ask right now with your head bowed, closed, I'm just going to ask forgiveness from all of you. I, I, I am a mess up in this area, and God has convicted me of, hey, Eric, you need to control your words. As a pastor who knows that someday I'm going to stand before the maker and have to give an account for every word I said, he's going to look at me and say, Eric, man, you represented my name. I know, God, I'm sorry I led people astray. I, I ask you to forgive me for that. And hold me accountable and encourage me in that. I give you full permission to look at me and say, Eric, you're gossiping right now. Eric, you're being negative right now. Man, speak it into my life. I need that. Father God, I love this church. And I love these people. 
God, forgive me of the areas that I struggle with. God, I, I can't even begin to talk about how poorly my words are. God, I submit my mouth, I submit my words, I submit my thoughts to you. I ask that you take them. I pray that you convict me when I get off line. I pray that, God, that whenever I use careless words, God, help me to have the humility and confidence to go and just apologize and repent of those things. God, help me with my words just become a place to where when I speak, people hear you, not me, because I've given them over to you. So take them. I pray others in those room right here who are struggling the same thing, God, I pray they begin to convict their life who they need to go make amends with, what they need to start doing differently. God, I pray for anybody in the sound of my voice right now who just says, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. I pray that you just stir in their heart what, what, what they believe about their salvation. I have no doubt there are people in this room right now who are not saved and maybe think they are. I pray you convict them to get up and come talk and say, hey, I just, I just need confidence right now. Would you help me find out whether or not I'm saved or not? God, I love you. I thank you for your truth of your words. I thank you that it hurts sometimes, but you do it because you love us and you want to use us for your glory. Help us to understand that. Guys, I pray, I pray people as I say amen, God, I pray people respond. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand. Uh, and, and respond in kind of, you need to kneel at your seat, kneel at your seat. If you need to come up here, you need to talk to myself or Bradley in the back, uh, I, I encourage you to do that, but you respond.